This is Unstoppable with Zen Honeycutt, episode 73, Should You Get the Flu Shot? Well, folks, there are many articles out there about this now. Mercola probably has the best one. You can read all about the dangers of getting the flu shot. You are also going to be hearing a lot of you know, scare tactics on the media and your parents will be hearing this, your sisters, your family members, about how you should get the flu shot and how it's so important right now because of COVID and you know all of this. They're, they're just going to be pushing this flu shot like crazy. I know I just got a notification from somebody that said that if they, when they went to pick up some food or a prescription at CVS, that they would get a $20 reduction on their bill if they also got the flu shot. So they're essentially paying people now to get the flu shot. And I just wanted to do a quick podcast about my experience with my father getting the flu shot and how I think that that ended his life early, early on, earlier than it should have been. Um, to be fair, he also got the DTAP not too far after the flu shot. So it could have been both of them, um, but both of them are shots that we should be extremely concerned about our elderly parents getting. It's very, very common for them to get these shots. And the the high dose flu shots called the flu zone shot, it's a quadrivalent, it has like four different, you know, strains, disease strains in it at once, has been shown to have a higher, you know, a, a greater risk to elderly people on all kinds of um side effects. One of them is, I, I don't know how, if I'm saying it properly, but Guillain-Barr syndrome and brain and nerve disorders like brain inflammation, encephalitis, optic neuritis, you know, eye damage, uh, facial paralysis, um, all kinds of neuropathy, which my father definitely had. And, um, and he had eye trouble and he had inflammation and all kinds of things. And Beyond uh, bar is when you're like, it's one of the symptoms is that their neck can get floppy, right? And um, not be able to hold up their neck and um, other types of chronic health problems or even death. And, um, and so those are more common in elderly people. And there's actually, there have been deaths from this high dose flu shot and the Mercola article on his website covers all of that really well. So just personally, I wanted to share with you because this is, it's just, it's just been so upsetting to me what happened. So I found out about the flu shot through, you know, the high dose flu shot and how elderly people should not be taking it or really anybody, but the high dose flu shot, especially, which is specifically for 65 years and older, um, should not be getting this. And I warned my father back in July a couple of years ago. And when I saw him during the summertime, and I, I said this out loud in front of everybody, please do not get the flu shot. But he, I don't know if he necessarily agreed. So then in September of that year, when he went to the doctor, his the caregivers that were with him were not in the room. And he went ahead and got the high dose flu shot. And not long after that was within, I think about two weeks, he fell. And now he could have fallen because of, 
you know, neurological damage from the flu shot. I don't know. But what I do know is that he fell and he cut his arm. And when he went to the doctor, they said, oh, you should get the, you know, the DTAP, you know, so that you don't get tetanus. It was like a scratch, folks. Like it was, you know, it was like, it was a cut, but it wasn't so deep that they couldn't have cleaned it out. But that's what they do is they give the the DTAP, you know, the tetanus shot, which also includes diphtheria and pertussis, to our elderly parents if they so much as practically get a bruise, right? A little bit more than a bruise, like a scrape or a scratch or whatever. They just stick them full of shots. And so they gave them the DTAP shot and that first ingredient is aluminum. And of course, in the flu shot, there's formaldehyde. There's formaldehyde in both of them. And there's all kinds of other ingredients. I'm going to get here oxyphenol, ethylate, ethoxalate. There's gelatin, which we know, of course, comes from pigs, which um, could contain glyphosate. There's preserve. There are preservatives, um, sodium phosphate, buffered isotonic sodium chloride solution. Uh, there's um, yeah, and again, formaldehyde, and in some of them, there's trace amounts of, in the diphtheria shot, there's trace amounts of thimerosal, which is, you know, mercury, and again, aluminum. So within two months of getting those shots, my father, who used to walk a mile and a half a day, he lived by himself. He was 90, I believe, one at the time, and he lived by himself. He cooked his own meals. He lived upstairs and he could get around and walk a mile and a half a day. And he did his own grocery shopping. Um, I think at that time he might not have been driving anymore, but um, he definitely was able to walk and get around and he his internal organs were of good health. He had uh, bad knees and bad eyesight and bad hearing. Those are all just like, you know, old folks, you know, bodies starting to break down type of thing. But he, and he had survived cancer three times, different types of, you know, skin melanomas and stuff like that, prostate cancer and all that. So he was, he was like very fit and active and strong, uh, for his age and, um, mentally, um, you know, cognizant, like he was, he was reading and all of that. Now he was grumpy. I'll have to say he had probably some type of um, anxiety or little bit of a, you know, um, depression going on, but, um, he, he at times was extremely lucid and I called him for advice many times about things in my life. And he was, we had a great relationship and he was cognizant, right? So then he got these shots and within two months he ha suddenly had COPD, emphysema, chronic kidney and liver disease, congestive heart failure, and he had to get open heart surgery in the beginning of January. He got the shot in September, but you know, they had to schedule them out and it would, it took a couple weeks to schedule them out. And, and this was at, you know, 91 years old getting open heart surgery. So we didn't have much hope. We thought he was not going to make it because going through that type of surgery, most elderly people get, you know, pneumonia or something in the hospital. Um, you know, they, they usually don't make it very far. So he got that surgery and they, he was on in a rehab on 17 different medications. They were giving him all kinds of medications. 
eventually he got off the, got out of rehab. He went to live with my brother for a few weeks. They ended up finding him his own apartment across the hall and he lived with a caregiver. That all didn't work out. He was very cranky and grumpy and it didn't work out. So they put him in a home and that started to cost $14,000, um, a month. It was costing $475 a day or something like that because he needed oxygen and he, uh, there was a risk of him falling. So he needed 24 seven care. So that means it was a caregiver that would sleep on a mattress right by my father's bed. And if my father got up, then the caregiver would get up in the middle of the night and bring him to the bathroom. God knows why they didn't just, you know, I don't know about catheters, but or give them like a pee pot, you know, where you can just pee sitting down in bed. I don't know why they didn't do that, but um, they also gave him medication that made him pee at night instead of in the morning, which was ridiculous. So they they charged our family a huge amount of money, right, for taking care of him. And we saw that this was not sustainable. And I also did not like the treatment he was getting. So we brought him to California. We went out and got him and brought him to California. We brought him into our home. We, you know, turned one of our kids' room into his bedroom, or actually my office into his bedroom and moved my office upstairs into one of our kids' rooms. And he moved in with us. And it was very difficult because he was really not happy about the whole situation. So that was challenging. Anybody who's tried to take care of your parents, you, you probably know how challenging that can be. Um, but what happened was when he came to us, he was on 12 different medications. We immediately put him on an all 100% organic diet. We gave him green juices in the morning and um, most mornings, maybe not every morning. We cut back his um, meat intake and his uh, sugar like to, to very small, very small amounts. And, um, he had, you know, a lot of, you know, whole foods and, you know, really healthy foods, very little processed foods. And, um, and he went from having not a great appetite. Like when he would eat the meals at the home, he would pretty much eat like a quarter of it. And then he'd want to save the rest of the food and it would, you know, go, get spoiled in the fridge. It would sit around with, with us. He ate his whole dish. He ate everything on his plate. And, um, and when he first came to us, he wasn't even really interested in reading magazines. He would just sort of glance at them, but he, his attention span was really short and he only wanted to watch a little bit of TV. Um, but within, um, and by the way, we also at that time got his blood tested. We wanted to know, I wanted to know, did he have heavy, heavy metal poisoning? You know, because the way he was behaving was so cranky, cranky and grumpy. It was like, you know, mild dementia, um, but also very irritable. And, um, at first they didn't do the test for aluminum the way that I wanted them to. So we had to get that test done a little bit later, a second blood test. And the results came back to be 246 parts per billion of aluminum in his blood. He also had, um, somewhat high levels of arsenic and, um, he, he, the doctor was super alarmed about the 246 parts per billion of aluminum. And he said that they, they normally would detox him. But around that time, my father fell again. And this time he really damaged his spinal cord and uh, he was in bed in extreme pain. And we just thought, you know, the doctor said, you know, it's probably time to put him on hospice. So we, we thought he was going to be leaving us at that time. And um, when they put somebody on hospice, they can't do like preventative things. They can only do things to have them feel more comfortable. So they didn't do the whole detox thing. But around then, one of our nutritional advisors said, give him, give him uh, Fiji water. 
Now, I'm not a huge fan of bottled water. In fact, I hate it. But in this case, there wasn't a, you know, a detox protocol that we were able to do from a doctor. So we just bit the bullet, bought the bottled water and gave my dad a bottle, like one of those medium-sized bottles of Fiji water once a day. It wasn't it wasn't even the only water he was drinking, but he just drank one bottle of Fiji water every day. And a, a year later, um, before he passed away, we retested his blood again, and the levels had gone down to six parts per billion of aluminum. And his cognitive ability was so much better. He was reading The Secret Life of Plants and uh, Stephen Hawkins' book, A Brief History in Time, two weeks before he died. His cognitive ability was just, it was so much better. And he he was, I don't want to say happier because he was in pain. You know, he had fallen and hurt in his back. He, he got through that first round of hospice. He was on hospice for six months and then they actually took him off hospice. And we thought he was, you know, going to improve and all that. But then later on he fell again, but like pretty much on the same day as the year before. And he didn't make it through that episode. He's, he really, uh, it was just, he, it was too far gone by then. And what he ended up dying from was the, the heart damage and the liver and kidney damage. And that I believe was completely from the vaccines. And I had a doctor who actually, she's like third generation doctor. She's been an ER doc. She's, um, she's worked with in hospice care and all of that. She looked at his records and she said, oh yeah, he was fine before those shots. And then after the shots, you can see the immediate decline. And so she, you know, she, she agreed with me that these shots contributed to his eventual death. And the fact that he hung on for so long is rare. You know, a lot of people within a couple of months, they die. You know, my, my father made it through that open heart surgery. I think a lot of people just, they just would have had a heart attack and died. And so I'm not saying that this is going to happen to everybody, but please hear this story and know that whenever I talk to anybody about their elderly parents and they say things like, yeah, my dad has emphysema and COPD and he's got, you know, heart problems. I ask them, has he gotten the high dose flu shot? Has he gotten any type of vaccines lately? And they say, oh yeah, he, they just got him caught up a couple months ago. Well, you know, that could be the reason why they have these problems. I mean, somebody doesn't just get COPD and emphysema and, you know, liver and kidney damage and, and congestive heart failure out of nowhere. That, that doesn't just happen all at once because of genetic reasons. So, um, this is a very, you know, tough thing that we went through, but I want like at least some people to learn from this. I just want you to know, I did try to file a report on this, but my father's doctor went out of business and they said they sent the records to some other big facility and that facility has just been impossible to get through to and to get anybody to give me any feedback. We did get some of the records from one of the um, clinics that he went to. And I think that's where he got the D the DTAP shot but um, we couldn't get all of the records from both shots. So I was never able to file the VARS report. And, um, you know, maybe someday I'll, I'll be able to, but I tried really hard to get records for a couple of weeks and paid a bunch of money to get medical records from uh, one of them. And it costs hundreds of dollars, right, to have them print out all the medical records. It's very complicated. So in lieu of filing the VARS report, I just wanted to share this with you. I invite you to please share it with 
uh, the elderly people in your life, please direct them to the McCroller website that um, and the article that talks about the harm from the flu zone shot, shot that's the quadrivalent. And know that these, these flu shots are really, they're not effective. The average has been that they're like 19% effective. Some of them with the different doses could be a little bit more effective in other strains. Um, I think it, they can get up to somewhere to between 30 and potentially 47% effective. But those are, you know, those are stats that's coming from the people that make them, right? And and I don't necessarily trust what they're saying. Um, so then the CDC says, actually one of them is 67% effective against the H1N1 virus, 25% effective against H3N2, and 42% against the influenza B viruses. Um, so on average, it's less than 50%, right? Effective. And, um, and in, 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 in some cases like dominating a virus than in the previous, previous years, in other words, 20% effective is what the Mercola article says on average. So for me, a 20% effective vaccine for a flu that um, if you're in, you know, decent health is not going to kill you, uh, is not worth the risk of what everything that my father went through. And um, so I would ask you to please, please reconsider it. Um, once one in 2017, there was a study also on pregnant women who received the PH H1N1 containing flu shot two years in a row. They were more likely to suffer mis suffer a miscarriage within the following 28 days. So please tell this to uh, women who want to be pregnant as well. This is a, extremely important. So thank you very much for listening today. I appreciate your time. Please reconsider getting the flu shot. Oh, one more, one more study that you can find on children's health defense. If you type in Pentagon 2020, there's a report done by the Pentagon that actually showed that getting the flu shot can increase your chance of getting COVID by 36%. So there's another great reason not to get the flu shot. Please reconsider and research vaccines, get informed. Just look at the ingredients. You can go to the CDC and see the ingredients and ask yourself if that's something that you want injected into your body. And keep in mind that these are injections that go directly into your bloodstream, that can go directly into your brain because polysorbate 80 and glyphosate, which we've found to be contaminated in flu shots and other childhood vaccines, breaks down the blood-brain barrier and allows those toxins like aluminum and thermosol into the brain right? And into other cells into your body. And that uh, injecting it into your bloodstream is very different from ingesting it, right? When you ingest food with mercury in it, things like that, it can go out through the feces and the urine and all that. It's It can be filtered a somewhat by the liver and kidney. I'm not saying that this is good to do, but it's a very different process in your body than being directed direct, directly into the bloodstream. So please reconsider do your research. You can go to momsacrossamerica.org. We've got articles there. I also highly recommend the National Vaccine Information Center, NVIC, Sherry Tenpenny, and um, you know, all, there's just so many great websites about uh, A Voice for Choice and Parents United for Kids and Stand for Health Freedom. There's so many great websites out there that have information about vaccines. Okay, please do your research. Thanks again for listening. And this is Zen Honeycutt reminding you to be unstoppable.